If you've been with us, of course, if you've been with us through uh, uh, the, the summer weeks so far, then you'll know right now that we are in a uh, program here in our church on Wednesday nights that we're calling Prayer on the Porch. And as I've told you recently, more than just prayer on the porch, this is nothing more than we're trying to use as an icebreaker to be able to ultimately share the gospel with our neighbors in our community. You know, we go out, we knock on doors, and we tell them we're from Woodland Baptist Church, and we love our community, and, and uh, we're here to see if there's anybody, anything we can help them pray about. And many people, are they're receptive to that. You know, people understand sometimes they may not even go to church, may just be bad people, so to speak, wicked people, but everybody that's got any sense will say, yeah, pray about this or that. And I told our people that first night, if, we, if they mention a dog to pray for or a cat, pray for them. It's okay. Uh, God loves dogs and cats. Well, he loves dogs anyway. I'm not sure about cats. But anyway... Um, we, we pray for people, whatever it is that they ask us. But our ultimate goal behind all of that is to be able to share the gospel with them. And if we can't do that, at least give them some literature, some tracts. Brother Mark has made a book about our church, and we put that book in their hands, uh, which in that book has, uh, uh, has the plan of salvation on it. And we call it Prayer on the Porch. Then, of course, we divided our church into two sections. We've got section one and three and section two and four. One and three are the witnesses, and two and four are the warriors. And everybody that comes up on Wednesday night and then goes out and they pray with somebody on the porch, then they get a point. For whoever they prayed for, they get a point for that. And as of tonight, our score, our score stands something like this right here. The witnesses have 68 points, and the warriors have 57 points. So, I mean, so far, I can't help me with that. Seven, eight, 15, what's that, 125 people? Is that right or thereabouts? 125 people, we've been able to have prayer with them on the porch thus far in this, in this drive. More importantly, 125 people in our church or in our community have either got a track or they've got a book which contains a very simple gospel presentation about how to go to heaven. You say, preacher, it's doing no good. They just throw it away. And maybe they do. But uh, guess what? On Judgment Day, we're not going to have to answer for what they did with it. We're going to have to answer for how we've been faithful to give it out. Now, of course, I like you. I've heard all the reasons why we shouldn't do this anymore. You know, when COVID came along and, and it kind of changed things in our society, didn't it? And uh, for two years, our church didn't go soul winning at all. For two years, we had no organized soul winning. Uh, we reached out to people and talked to people and, and passed out tracts and stuff. But as far as having an organized soul winning, we didn't do that for over two years. We didn't go soul winning at all. We were afraid that people would thought that maybe we were bringing it to them or maybe we were going to get it from them. And uh, so for two years, there was no, no soul winning at our church. And then, of course, when the COVID came along, the climate of our world changed. The overall attitude and atmosphere of our world has changed since COVID. People started working from home. And many people are still working from home uh, to this day. You know, people were afraid they want to catch the virus. So companies said, hey, just stay at home now. And because of that, people really become isolated. And they turned inward and became less outgoing and less approachable. And people, for the most part in our day, have kind of built like an invisible wall around them now. And uh, they're, they're, they don't want anything to do. They've turned inward uh, uh, when all of this happened. But hopefully, hopefully, most of that is now getting behind us. Hopefully things are beginning to turn around. 
Less and less people are wearing masks. And by the way, if you got one on tonight, I'm glad you're here, mask or not mask. Thank you for being here. If that makes you feel good, when you come to church to wear a mask, wear a mask when you come to church. I don't care. Wear a stinking scuba diving suit. Well, as far as I'm concerned, I don't care. Whatever you need to do to make yourself feel safe, do that. But at least I think our, our society is getting back to a little more normalcy, normalcy in these days. I've noticed stores, uh, uh, a lot of stores opening back up and, you know, kind of getting back to a little bit of normalcy. See it. Restaurants, you know, you bless their heart, can't get nobody to work. And if you go out and fast food, you have to wait an hour to get it, fast food. But, you know, that's the day and the age in which we're living in. Things pretty much are getting back to normal with the exception of the church. Now, I'm not talking about our services. I thank God for the good services that we've had recently here in our church. But I'm talking about as far as the outreach, the soul winning, the witnessing part of the church has seemingly come to a screeching halt. One of the things that burdens my heart is that we aren't getting more people saved than we are. You know, I thank the Lord for people that got saved on the church buses today. What a blessing that is. But my heart is burdened that we're just not seeing a lot of people, at least in the auditorium much anymore, getting saved. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again a lot more probably before I get through. But, you know, I think one of the reasons that people don't get saved in our services is because so many of our services are sinner-less. I mean, let's just face it, God is not going to be able to save somebody where everybody who's in attendance is already saved. I mean, among the many things we read in the Bible, one thing we never read in the Bible is this, that God resaved somebody. There's no such thing as being re-saved. Nobody gets saved over and over and over. And I, I know sometimes people come to the altar and, and in their terminology they'll say, well, I need to get saved again. You know, especially maybe some of our folks that ride the church bus or whatever, they'll come and say, hey, I want to get saved again. Well, truth of the matter is, when you get saved, that's enough. Can I have an amen? We believe that salvation is that once and for all work that God does in the heart of every sinner that comes to Jesus. We believe that. And we, and, and we know the Bible is true about that, but I'm telling you something. If everybody who attends our services is already saved, can't nobody get saved. Am I right? And one of the reasons maybe that we aren't getting more people saved is our services are so sinnerless. I, I'm for missions with all of my heart. I, I pray and I give to missions like you do. I have a thing on my prayer list that I try to pray through every morning and I got to pray for missionaries, missionaries in our church. I try to mention them by name and pray for them just like many of you do. I want to see people get saved. I want to see people get saved in Europe, don't you? I want to, get, I want to see people get saved over there. I want to see people get saved in Asia, don't you, over in Asia. I want to see people get saved over in the Philippines and, and over in Asia and Cambodia and places like Thailand. I want to see people get saved. Over. I want to see people get saved in Africa. Don't you? I want to see people come to know Jesus over in Africa. And what about South America? Of course, we want to see people get saved in South America. But while we're wanting to see people saved over there, I sure would like to see some people saved at Woodland. Wouldn't you? And I'm going to keep praying, and I'm going to keep giving to missions, and, and uh, I want to see people in those far-off distant places get saved. But what about Winston-Salem? What about Rural Hall? What about King? What about Walnut Cove? What about Mount Airy? What about Pilot Mountain? 
I don't want to send my money off to those places and pray for people in those places and then forget my own family, my own friends, and my own community. I think one of the most hypocritical things that you and I can do is to give money and pray to see people saved in far-off distant places, and yet we won't walk across the street to tell our neighbor about Jesus. That's, that's hypocritical. We'll give our money and pray to see people uh, get saved across the, the oceans, but we won't step across the office to tell one of our fellow employees about how to be saved. We won't walk across the hallway to tell our friends and our families and our neighbors about Jesus. And i got to say this right up front. we got a good church here. I believe that with all my heart. If you don't think we got a good church, visit around a little bit. And I, I'm not bragging about all that, but I, just, I thank God that he does meet with us from time to time. And we have those services around here where we say in our terminology, man, it got on tonight, didn't it? Or whatever. I love it when people get up and run around the auditorium and people shout. And I'm glad we got a church where people feel at liberty that whenever the Spirit of God speaks to them, they just get up and come to the altar. You know why? The altars are always open here at Woodland. And I'm glad we got a church like that. I'm glad when God interrupts our normal services with a special word from heaven. I like stuff like that. I, I'm not against that. I just want to tell you, I am for that. I want that. I love that when it happens. I really do. I like the overall atmosphere with which we meet in. I wouldn't, think, I wouldn't change a thing about our church unless it would be for that kind of a service to happen a little bit more often. I like camp meetings. I like to go to camp meeting style churches and serve. I like people who say amen. He's standing up down here hitting the home run. That don't bother me at all, man. Does it you? If it does, you need to get your heart right with God. It don't bother me when somebody jumps up and says, Hey, preacher, I got, let me say something for you. Preach tonight. Or, hey, preacher, hey, let, let me say this tonight. Preacher, I love uh, whatever. That don't bother I like services like that. But the one thing burdens my heart is when people aren't getting saved. I don't want us to become one-dimensional. I don't want us to become unbalanced. I don't want our church to become all about shouting and testifying and running around the church, but then we aren't reaching anybody, getting anybody saved. I think the word that we're looking for is the word balanced. Man, I want to have that, but I also want to see people get saved by the grace of God as well. You know, they say in the independent Baptist movement, that's what we are. We are independent Baptists here at this church. And they say that within the independent Baptist movement, there are three different groups on the inside of the independent Baptist movement. For instance, number one, there's the sword crowd. The sword crowd. You have saw that before, the sword of the Lord, that paper that comes out. And, and um, I believe a good night, I can't even remember what the man's name is. It's over that now. But there's the sword crowd and uh, that sword of the Lord crowd. And then you've got that, the uh, Ruckman crowd, the Ruckmanites. If you don't know Peter Ruckman, he's, uh, well, he may be dead now, but he used to be very, and he was very intelligent, and um, uh, he, uh, boy, was strong on the King James and had a big following and then the Independent Baptist Movement. So there's the sword crowd, there's the Ruckmanites. How many of you ever heard of Peter Ruckman before? Many, okay, nobody has, okay. Maybe two, two or three. But anyway, there was a man down in Florida whose name was Peter Ruckman. He was very strong on the King James, had a big following. So they said, hey, the Ruckmanites are in the independent Baptist movement. The sword crowd is in the movement. And then they said, and, and then the third crowd is the camp meeting crowd. They make up the independent Baptist movement as well. And then here's what they said. The sword crowd gives you something for your hand to do. Because they're strong. The sword crowd 
is strong knocking on doors. They push soul winning. I mean, with the sword crowd, it's, it's, it's man getting people saved and getting them down the aisle and getting them in the baptistry and discipling them. I am for that. The sword crowd gives you something for your hand. The Ruckman crowd gives you something for your head. And the camp meeting crowd gives you something for your heart. Now look at me and listen to me. You know which one of those three groups I want us to identify with? All three of them. I want something. I want a church that has a knocking hand. Hey, I want to, I want to pastor a church that has a, 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 growing, a growing knowledge of the Word of God. And boy, I want to have a church that when you come to the church, you can feel something. Man, I like it when the Lord just moves and speaks to our hearts. So why can't we have a church with a hand? And why can't we have a church with a head? And why can't we have a church with a heart? All three of those things involved in our church. Now, thank God for the heart, the worship that we have here in our church. But what are we doing with our hand? When's the last time we went out soul winning? When's the last time we went knocking on the door? And by the way, I'm preaching tonight on this thought. Soul winning promises. But the purpose of the message tonight is not to beat you up. Can I tell you something? Probably two of the greatest failures that I have in my life, I don't know about yours, but in my life, my two greatest failures, spiritually speaking, and being a Christian, number one is prayer failures. I don't pray like I ought to pray. I really, and I don't mean this arrogantly or braggadociously, I don't struggle reading my Bible every day. I just have a set time every day. I get up, read my Bible every day. I don't struggle with that. I don't struggle with tithing. I just every every week, man. I just it just that's just a part of my life. I don't struggle for the most part with living right. We all have our battles, our temptations, our struggles. But I thank the Lord I didn't go out and get drunk last week. I didn't smoke grass last week. I didn't cuss any last week. I'm saying to God be the glory. I didn't look at anything dirty on the phone last week. I I didn't struggle with doing right last week. But I think everybody in here would say, you know something, man, I struggle when it comes to, I don't pray like I ought to pray. And sometimes we wind up in a mess because we don't pray. That's a failure in our life. But then number two, following right on the heels of that, is soul winning. Can I ask you a question? I'm not beating you up. I'm just asking you the question. How many tracts did you give out last week? How many people did you talk to about their soul last week? How many people did you invite to church last week? How many people did you, uh, did, you, did you shed tears over last week? I'm just saying, man, if you're like me, man, I fail in that area. I really do. I struggle in those areas. And, and the purpose, look up here, don't look down. We're not praying, just look right here. The purpose of the message tonight is not to beat you up. I don't know about you, but I already beat myself up enough over that. I beat myself up over not praying like I ought to pray. I beat myself up over not going soul winning and telling people about Jesus like I ought to. I already do that myself. I don't want to come to church and the preacher just pile on and beat me up some more. You know, the Bible said this in James 4, verse 17, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. Read it with me. To him it is, all right, we know. Hey, it's not only what we do that's a sin. It's what we don't do that's a sin as well. What is it? The saying is, sins of commission, that's things we do. But then there's the sins of omission, things that we know we ought to do that we don't do. So, man, are we in trouble tonight? 
And I'm afraid if we don't, if we don't step it up, man, uh, you know, our church is going to eventually, we're going to shout and praise God and have a wonderful time. But it ain't going to be too awful long down the road. Ain't going to be nobody to shout and run around the church and have a good time. If we aren't getting anybody saved and bringing more people into the church. Can I have an amen? amen? You know what's happened to a lot of churches in our world today? People just died off. There were no young people coming in. There was nobody getting saved, nobody getting baptized. People were dying. There was nobody to take their place. And those churches eventually just dried up. And what was left just went and joined some other church. And those churches are vacant tonight. Man, I don't want that to happen. And I know we're a long way from that. I get all that. But wait a minute. We're no better than anybody else. And if we aren't bringing people in and getting them down the aisle, guess what may happen some of these days? There may be five cars sitting in our parking lot somewhere down the road, and there may be, we may be struggling to keep the lights on, pay the electrical bill, if we're not reaching people because reaching people is the future of the church. And if we aren't doing it, if we aren't doing it, we don't have much of a future. So the purpose of the message tonight is not to beat you up. The purpose of the message tonight is just to remind you there are some promises that go along with soul winning. And what I did tonight, here they are. We're almost done. It's only 612. What am I in a hurry for? It's only 612. But I wrote down five promises for the soul winner. Just to encourage you. Maybe to encourage my heart tonight. If we could get a hold of these five promises when it comes to soul winning, I think it would change our life. Look at me. Let's run around the church. Let's shout. I know some of y'all going to go to sleep while I'm preaching tonight. And I don't even care. I ain't scared. I don't care. But I'll tell you what. If those of us that are listening tonight would get a hold of this truth, I think it would change our life. If somehow we could just grasp these promises that God makes to us in the Word of God when it comes to soul winning, I'm telling you, if we could get a hold of these things, it would change our life and I think would probably change our church as well. You know what makes church excited to me is when people show up that I personally invested in trying to get here myself. That, that excites me about church. But when we come week in and week out, we ain't bring nobody with us. We ain't been talking to nobody about it. I mean, let's just face it, man. We have a tendency to lose a little bit of, uh, a little bit of uh, can I use the word oomph about church? Man, we need to get involved in bringing people back to church again. And then it, it, excites, it excites you when you can come up to the preacher and say, Hey, preacher, i got so-and-so with me. Oh, he's a wicked man. But I want you to know I'm praying for him while the service is going on. That's something a little bit exciting about that. I'll tell you what, man. When I know there's some people here that's lost, I'll tell you, it kind of brings out a little bit more in me. I think the choir sings a little bit louder when there's a bunch of lost people here. I think the shouts, the amens are a little higher when there's a lot of lost people here. But when it's just us, I love you. I'm glad you're here. And I think you're glad I'm here. Nobody, I hope you are, but whatever. But can I tell you something? When it's just us, sometimes it gets a little monotonous, don't it? You know what I'm saying. Boy, it sure is exciting when we know, hey, so-and-so's got his old boss down here. He's lost. Let's pray for him while the preaching is going on. It adds a little bit of excitement to the church. Let's get a hold of these promises. I told you we're going to be everywhere, so let's start. Promise number one, Jesus is with us. Now, I know you said, preacher, uh, come on, preacher. Come on, preach. Surely you can come up with something better with that. No, no, we need to get a hold of that. Jesus is with us when we go soul winning. Jesus is with us. You know... Uh, thank God for the promises of the presence of Jesus throughout the Bible. There's nothing that becomes any more real to us 
any more reassuring to us to know that Jesus is always going to be with us. There's just something that just encourages our heart. When we, when we get saved, the Savior comes to reside within us. Let me give you a great statement. This just fresh off the press. God is in my body. Can I tell you something? When you got saved, guess what? God moved in your bod. God lives on the inside of us, and he tells me in his word that he will never, ever, for no reason ever, leave me, but he will go with me all the way. Now, that's a great promise, isn't it? Now, think about that for just a moment. That sure is a good promise when you've got to go behind them metal operating doors. That's a good promise, isn't it? You know, your wife, your husband can't go, your family can't go, mom and daddy can't go, but aren't you glad Jesus can go back there with you? He's always going to be with us. Hey, that's a pretty good promise when you've got to go down to the funeral home and pick out a casket and a vault for your loved one. That's a good promise to know, thank God I ain't going to walk into that casket room by myself. The Lord is going to be right there with me. He's going to help me. That's a pretty good promise. When you're facing problems in your life and they're overwhelming and, man, you don't know how it's going to come out and what's going on in your life, you know, it's always a comfort to know, thank God, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but the one thing I can count on while I'm right here in the middle of this problem, Jesus is going to be with me. But can I tell you something honestly? Those promises about him never leaving us but going with us all the way to the end of the world are in conjunction with soul winning. Let me read it to you. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said in verse number 20, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And then he said this, Amen. He said, I'm going to be with you all the way, even to the end of the world. But if you know anything about that Matthew 28 text, it's when Jesus said, Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, as you go into the world to tell people about me and then to try to disciple them and teach them and baptize them, lo, then and there I'm with you all the way. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is simply this. When you and I go soul winning, Jesus is with us. I mean, man, think about that. When, I, I know he's with me when I go to the hospital. I know he's with me when I go to the, 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 uh, the tax place. Boy, you better have Jesus with you when you go to the tax place. I know he's with me when I'm laying back in the dental chair and they're drilling on my teeth and starting the water in and the woman's got a Hoover vacuum cleaner thing stuck down my throat. I sure thank God he's with me. But I'll tell you, that promise is in conjunction with when we go soul winning. I know he's always going to be, but he's going to be, watch this, doubly with me when you and I go soul winning. As you witness to people, guess what? In reality, when there's one of you, there's two of you. Every time you knock on the door, we can't see it. You know, most of us, when we knock on the door, it's kind of like one of those, I hope you ain't home knock. Well, ain't nobody here. But if we can only see that's standing right there beside of us as we pray with somebody on the porch, guess what? Jesus is standing there because he promised he was going to go with us all the way, especially when we go soul winning. Amen. Jesus is with us. Let me give you an illustration. I'll get off of this. 
Paul went to the city of Corinth. And the city of Corinth was a wicked and an ungodly place. Outside of the city limits of, of Corinth, was, uh, there was an Areopagus. There was a hill there. And on top of that hill, there was, a, there was a temple erected to this false god. And every night in the city of Corinth, these, these prostitutes, male and female, would leave that temple, that hill, and they would come down into the city of Corinth, and they would ply their trade upon the inhabitants and the citizens of the city of Corinth. You talk about a wicked and an ungodly place. That's the way the city of Corinth. And here comes one Baptist preacher by the name of Paul to the city of Corinth. He's by himself carrying the gospel. He's got a witness and tell these people about the Lord. And here's what he said when he got there. Here's how he felt. Look at this. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul said, when I thought about confronting this city and this people with the claims of the gospel, he said, I was weak. I was fearful. He said, I'll just be honest with you. I just want to be honest with you. I was trembling about it. So you're not alone. You're not by yourself. When you and I go soul winning, have prayer on the boards, whatever, and we kind of say, we're not by ourselves. Paul said, you know, I kind of felt like that. I was fearful. I was trembling. I felt weak when I thought about the, the confronting the people of this city, the wicked people that they are with the gospel. I felt the same way that you do. But here's what Jesus said to Paul now. Same about going to the city of Corinth, here's what he said. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision in the city of Corinth, be not, say it with me, but, say it with me, and why, verse 10, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have what? I got a lot of people in this town that's going to get saved if you don't hold your peace. Can I say it like this? When you and I go so winning, Jesus is with us. When there's one of us, there's really two of us. When you folks are on your church buses and you're sitting there and that crowd's back there, can I tell you something? Jesus is right there with you. Amen. Everywhere we go, he is with us. So number one, Jesus. Number two, watch this. We have special power when we witness we have a special power. I heard about this, this funny story this week about this preacher, and he was real backward, kind of reminded me of myself. I probably would have done something like this if I'd have thought about it. And he was real backward, and so he was given a chance to preach. So he stood up before everybody, and everybody had their eye on him in the building. He said, how many of y'all know what I'm going to say? And nobody raised their hand. He said, neither do I, and sat down. Well, they gave him another chance a couple of weeks later, and he says, uh, he says uh, stands up before him, looks him in the eye, and says, how many of y'all know what I'm going to say? Well, everybody in there thought back to that other time, so everybody in there raised their hand. And he stood back up, and he said, well, y'all know what I'm going to say. Ain't no sense me saying it. And he sat down again. A couple of weeks later, they gave him another chance. He stood up again. He said, well, how many of y'all know what I'm going to say? And about half the people in there raised their hand. And he said, all right, then the half of y'all that do know what I'm going to say, tell the other half that don't know what I'm going to say. And he sat down again. And I told you that story to tell, say this to you. Jesus looks at us and says, all right, all of y'all that do know, tell that crowd that don't know about, about me and about what I've done for them to be saved. And as we do that, whether we believe this or not, as we do that, there is a power 
that comes upon us as we do that. In Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, we read these words, and you, you, but ye shall receive, what's the next word? After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, guess what? When you got saved, the Holy Ghost moved inside of you, and you shall be what? Witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. You know what he's just simply trying to say? Man, y'all that know, go out there and tell that crowd that don't know. And as you do this, guess what? Man, I'm going to put something on y'all. I'm going to put an anointing on you. I'm going to put a power on you. I'm going to give you the capability and the capacity to get this job done. We have a power available that works within us as we tell people about Jesus. Number three, this is my favorite one. So he's going to be with us. We have power to do it. By the way, can I stop and say this? Jesus would never tell us something to, to do something that he didn't give us the power to do it. Can I have an amen? And then number three, look at this. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. Can I show you a verse? In Matthew chapter, well, stop. Before I get to that, let me say this. You know, somebody said, well, I don't really know what to say. When I go up and knock on the door, I have no idea. I'm just afraid I'm going to freeze. I don't know what to say. Well, can, can I tell you, the easiest thing to do is tell people what the Lord did for you. You know, they can argue our doctrine. They will argue our doctrine. All you people think Jesus is the only way to heaven. Or y'all are so narrow-minded. You think everybody else is wrong. They can argue with our doctrine, but they cannot argue a changed life. So when you walk up there and you're talking to somebody and say, man, I tell you, I used to be bad to drink, but boy, God saved me and turned my life around. I just want to tell you, I ain't had to drop a liquor in 16 years of my life. God did that for me. No, no reformers, not reformers unanimous, no alcohol anonymous. God did all that for me, and God turned my life around. I used to be bad to do drugs, but I tell you, man, the only grass I got now is what I mow in my front yard. I'm telling you, man, it's wonderful. The only pot we got in our house is what we cook in. God did that, changed my life. They can't argue with that. In Acts chapter number 4, we have that old boy that for 38 years was lame on his feet. In Acts chapter 3, he was sitting there by the temple and he asked those two Baptist preachers, hey, silver and gold, uh, uh, do y'all have anything? And he asked them, um, and they said, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have give we thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. 38 years that boy hadn't stood up. 38 years he hadn't walked. 38 years he hadn't moved. And, and the Bible said, and immediately his ankle bones received, received strength. And he, and he stood up on his feet. And then a couple of chapters over, they got mad at Peter and John for preaching. And the Bible said, standing right there with them was that lame man that sat by that gate and everybody knew his life. And the one thing they told Peter and John, you better not speak about Jesus again. But the one thing they couldn't argue with was the fact that God had done something for that boy that he was lame on his feet. In fact, we read this in Acts 4.14. We read this, and beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. You can't argue you change life, friend. They can argue our doctrine. They can argue what we say about the Bible, but they cannot argue the fact that God did a work in our heart and changed our lives forever. Just tell them what the Lord did for you. You say, preacher, I don't know. I'm still a little bit nervous. Well, let me just set your mind to these. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. Look at this verse right here. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Now, I don't want to be misleading. You know, a lot of primitive Baptist preachers use that verse to stand up and preach, so they don't read their Bible, they don't prepare. They just stand up and say, well, the Holy Spirit will tell me what to say. But here's what I say to that. If you'll put it in you, the Holy Spirit will draw it out of you. 
I can't tell you the many times, uh, and when you're a preacher, especially early on when I was a preacher, people would challenge me all the time. I worked in a wicked place, wicked environment. Meat cutters are bad people. They're wicked people and ungodly. And I worked in the meat department. And I think the cold freezes the brains or whatever. I don't know. But uh, they were wicked people. I can't tell you how many times I got challenged on issues uh, you know, this or that or the other, and they would challenge me on it. And the Holy Spirit would start reaching in my, my heart and pulling Scripture out that I'd memorized. You see, I put it in, and the Holy Spirit pulled it out. I've been preaching before just out of nowhere, and I, sometimes I say something like this, this just in, you know, this just in from heaven, and it's the Holy Spirit that reaches in and pulls it out. If you'll put it in, you get in your Bible. Memorize the plan of salvation. You put it in, the Holy Spirit will put it out, pull it out. He'll tell you what to say. Number four, promise number four is this. God's word is powerful. It'll do the job. Give them the word of God. God's word is powerful. It will do the job. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You put it in. You use the word of God. I remember Brother, don't you remember Brother Lyon standing up here and say, uh, he'd be preaching to us about soul winning, and he'd say, well, take the word of God. It's a sword. It's cut, coming and going. And he said, if they don't want to hear it, then he would always say this. He'd always say this, stick them anyway. Y'all remember him saying that? Stick them anyway. I'm going to tell you something. The word of God will get the job done. We just got to give them the word of God. Give them the word of God. And then number five, and I'm done. Look at this. Number five. God promises to honor our faithfulness. We may, I, and I, I don't think this will happen, but we may not see anybody get saved, but God's going to honor our faithfulness. And God didn't promise to bless us on the amount of the harvest that we receive. God promised to bless us on the amount of resolve that we put into it. Look at these verses and we're done. Promises. Look at this. They that sow in tears. What's the next word? Shall. They that sow in tears shall. Sounds like to me it's a pretty good promise. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seeds shall doubtless come again. Sounds like a promise to me that if we'll do that, we're going to get some people saved. And then what about this verse and we're done? Look at this one. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be unmovable, steadfast, abounding in the work. For our labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then this one, look at this one, we're done. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, we're laborers together with God. We're God's husbandry. We are God's building. And he goes on to say in another verse or two, uh, let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's, in, it's on my heart. Let me read it to you. And it says this. It says, uh, He that planteth and he that watereth are one. And then listen to this. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. God is going to reward us not on the basis of the harvest that we see, but on the basis of the labor that we put into it. I'm just telling you, there's some great promises in our Bible when it comes to soul winning. And all we need to do is wrap our mind around it and just say God, say to God, God, you said this about this, so I'm going to go. And Lord, if you leave me on that porch by myself, I, I tell you, and he said, oh, don't worry about that. And God, I ain't going to know what to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you. 
And I, I just feel so weak and fearful. The Holy Spirit will give you the power. Amen. I don't, I don't know. What do, I, what do I share with them? The Bible is powerful. It'll do the job. And God will reward us according to our labor. But we just got to go. We just got to go. So let's shout. Let's run around the church. Let's hoop. Let's holler. Brother Buddy, let's hit some home runs. Brother Caleb, Brother Riley, y'all run around the church. I'm, I'm for it. But man, let's get some people saved. While we're running around, let's get some people down the aisle. While we're shouting, let's shout over people getting saved. Can I have it? Amen. Let's have something for our hand. Something for our head. And something for our heart. Let's pray. Father.